0: Hey, before we get started with today's show, I wanted to share an amazing opportunity for college or graduate students interested in promoting organ donation on your campus. The Student Organ Donation Advocates Group, better known as SODA, is offering 11 scholarships for the 2023-2024 school year. To apply, please visit sodanational.org backslash scholarships or contact students at sodanational.org. The deadline to apply is June 15, 2023. Episode 119 features soda, so maybe you can check it out after you listen to this one.
1: And welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. I'm Lori Steele.
2: I'm Joey Boudreaux.
1: And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on the Gifted Life today.
2: We're talking to one sister who's had to have one of those difficult conversations about donation when her brother's decision wasn't known.
3: And I'll be talking about uh, how to like check in with yourself just to make sure that you're keeping a balance. In today's world,
1: that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. All that and more right here on The Gifted Life. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life podcast, I am so proud to introduce you to our newest friend. I just love her name, Jessica Andrade. Was that okay, like close to what it is, Jess? Yes. You say it right.
0: Andrade. Oh,
1: uh, so it's just beautiful when she... Yeah, much prettier. <laughs> when she says, we're going to work on that. But we certainly appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Jessica shared that she uh, listened to the the podcast. Um, she liked the direction that we were going, talking about organ tissue and eye donation. And just one day she said, I'm going I'm to write in. And man, Jessica, we are so glad You did, because we think people could benefit from hearing your story. But why did you want to reach out?
0: Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I reached out because I think it's important to share, as hard as it is, to share my brother's story. And hope that people, that families that are going through what my family and I went through after the loss of my brother, maybe in some way it could help them. Um, specifically to reach out to the recipients. I think that's a big part of, of this whole process, and I know that it was. it's a very hard thing to do, but I think it's so important, and also just advocating for um, becoming an organ donor and what that really means, and so I am very excited to be here, like I said, and happy to to chat
1: with you all today Uh, we appreciate it we think so many will benefit um, from this story and we love that you're using your your grief journey to help others like we we just love that it starts with one person um, and that one person is you Uh, we know that your brother tell us his name Alfonso Alfonso we know he unexpectedly passed away in 2016 uh, but before that uh, were you guys a family that that talked about donation that understood donation were you pro donation walk us through that
0: So we were not a family that talked about donation. It was one of those things where when we go to the DMV, they ask you whether or not you wanna be an organ donor and you check yes or you check no, and really that's it. And my younger brother Fonso lived in El Paso, Texas and I moved to Washington DC in 2006. So when he unexpectedly passed away on his license, he was not a donor. And I remember when I flew in, the doctors immediately having that conversation of donation. And it was absolutely not. I don't even want to think about other people that he might save because you all are going to save him. And so, no, we never had those conversations. But I will tell you, I try to talk to everybody that I can now about the importance of being an organ donor.
1: Yeah, we kind of hear that from some of our families too. Uh, when you're when you're going through it, if you don't have those conversations before, um, and that's what we try to to, to go about um, here at LOPA is, is encouraging those conversations. Uh, because when something happens and donation is introduced, we want you to have a, just a great understanding about what it is and what it means. So he unexpectedly passes in 2016. What's that like for you and your family?
0: Extremely difficult also actually was a caretaker for my grandmother for 16 years. And so not only were we having to go through this loss, um, knowing that what are we going to do what are we going to do with grandma, um, it was really understanding what organ donation means. And for our family, we didn't have any type of therapist or psychologist or social worker at the hospital that walked us through what it means once we decided to say yes. And that was hard because I think emotionally my, my younger sister, I have an older brother and a younger sister and my younger sister had had a dream um, two days before he passed away that with Fonzo telling her, you know, I'm still here. Don't take me off life support. Mm. And so even having that conversation uh, the next day about the possibility of donating. She said absolutely not. He's still here. He told me that he he's 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 going to he's going he's gonna to be fine and and just to hold out. And I said, "I understand, but if if that last brain scan that they do on Monday turns out that he has no brain activity, which is what they've been telling us, I don't think it's fair for our brother to lay in a vegetative state for the rest of his life." Because, what good is that going to do for him, for us? And knowing that he's healthy enough otherwise to donate and help other people, that's just who my brother was. He Mm -hmm. was selfless. Um, He worked two jobs, he took care of our grandmother, he never complained. And I just can't imagine that he would not have wanted to help other people. And so, when that last brain scan came in, um, he had no brain activity. And so, they declared him brain dead. And at that point, my sister said, "Okay, um, we can move forward with donation.
3: Jessica, can I like we back up a little bit? Um, I first want to say thank you for being on this podcast and sharing your brother's story, because it is an honor to get to know him through his story. And you you shared so many wonderful things about your brother that allowed you to know who he is, his values, what's important to him. So that helped bridge the decision. It sounds like yes, okay. And so when you talk, when you know, when you share this this moment in time of y'all making this decision, there's so much more involved. Like you, you walk into the hospital. And, and you you don't know how your brother's doing. Um, the doctors are the, is it the, the OPO that came to talk to you? Like there's so many pieces to this um, that brought y'all to that decision. And it sounds like you were such an advocate for your family, for your brother, to make sure that you had all the information that was mm-hmm. um, needed in order to make these decisions. So take us there a little bit. Like, What was that like for y'all?
0: Yeah. So like I said, I I was living in Washington, D.C., still am. And I got the call from a family friend who was with my grandmother at the hospital. And my brother had had seizures before, but nothing of this magnitude. And as soon as she told me, Jesse, you need to get on a you need, you need to get on a plane and come home it's not looking good I said well I don't really understand what that means can I talk to a doctor so I had the doctor call me and he told me what had happened and you know my brother by the time they got him to the hospital they believed that he he was without oxygen between 10 and 30 minutes and so I said okay well as soon as the doctor said you just need to you just need to fly down so I flew on first flight home was at the hospital at 10 30 on Saturday morning, and I remember the doctor warned me about how my brother would look and um, that it was likely he was never going to wake up. But I said, I don't want to have this conversation right now. I just want to see my brother. I, 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 I'm i not really processing or understanding what you're telling me. I just need to see my brother. At that point, my older brother was driving um, to town. My sister, who lives in Missouri, was her flight w- w- was coming in. Um, Saturday night. And so I felt I just felt alone. And you know, my grandma at that point was 97, 98, and so she just really wasn't understanding what was going on. And so I just felt scared. i um, not sure. I didn't wa- I knew that for certain I didn't want to make any decisions about my siblings there. And both of our both of our parents have passed away, so we don't have um, you know, Parents and he might, you know, my brother did not have children either. So we were his next of kin. And so I wanted to make sure that thank you for all the information, but I don't want to make any decisions until my siblings are here. And once they were there, um when they said, you know, we've done this test and all of these tests, and they're describing them, and I said, I don't understand what any of this means. Mm -hmm. I want to see it for myself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they said, That's gonna be a very hard thing to see. And and but if you feel like you need to do it. I said, I, I feel like I need to do it. And I want, I, I, I need to see it for myself because what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. And so when the, round, when the doctors did rounds on Sunday morning, we were there and they did the testing of, um, they took off the ventilator. He was not breathing on his own. Um, and there was just various tests that I'm sure you all know of. And that was actually one of the hardest things I've ever seen because of the fact that like, he just, he was gone. And I knew it in the pit of my stomach. I didn't want to say anything. But I had to excuse myself because that was a very, very difficult moment for me. It was actually harder than walking in when I first saw him. Because when I first walked into the ICU and saw him, he was um, he had a a big fan on him because his temperature was really, really high. And he was still shaking. And that was hard enough. But then to see, you know, my young 31-year-old brother who just turned 31 a few days prior was gone. So that it was, it was one of the hardest, if not the hardest moment of my life. And like I mentioned, you know, we've lost our parents and we've just gone through a lot of very difficult hardships in our life. And so to lose the person that was really, I think the best out of the four of us, I have to say, and it, it was very hard for us. And when, the, when, when we agreed to donation, the OPO came in, Southwest Transplant Alliance, and they just had the, I think they called it the organ coordinator or the transplant coordinator. And um, they said, well, now it's time to say your final goodbyes now that you signed the paperwork. And my family and I were like, we're not signed. I mean, we're not leaving him. We're staying with him until you take him up. And they said, well, typically families don't do this because you know we have to do multiple testing to make you know to to test the organs, et cetera. And I said, and that's fine, but we don't want to leave him. And I essentially advocated for the hospital to um lax their their visiting hours. And we were able to stay with him 24 hours for those those 72 hours after he was declared brain dead. So I fought tooth and nail for all of us to be able to spend time with him, for his friends to see him. And I think that as hard as the decision was um, at the time, I think about all of the fantastic things that have happened in my life through this network of this community of people that I've met because of this. And it's, I owe it all to him. You know, people thank me and say, you know, thank you so much for advocating and thank you so much for sharing your story. But I feel like it's him speaking through me.
3: I I tell you, it's, it's beautiful getting to know him this way through your stories and, and understanding like who he was and it, it, and why you said yes to donation because you, it sounds like this is the type of person he is to help someone.
2: And I, and I have to say, you know, I think, uh, it sounds as though you're selling yourself a little short you are the bravest person I was in that situation say, right uh you know you like you said your your parents had recently passed and and here you are in a situation that had to be beyond overwhelming trying to understand and and then to put yourself in a position where you know as you mentioned earlier your your sister had, had talked about, I think it was your sister that had talked about the fact that she thought he was sleeping in the dream and he's going to wake up and, 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 you know, being there during the brain death testing, uh, while I, I can see the benefits and we've seen it actually on our end clinically, uh, it's still, it is, uh, it's something that I'm not sure I can put myself in that situation. And for you to do that and to understand things a little clearer uh is definitely applaudable you know like it's it's really um remarkable and and then to take that a step further you know and then obviously advocate further for donation uh, just it it's definitely an attest a testament to who you are as a person
3: Jessica what led you to maneuver through this unknown situation and and, and it sounds like it's a dark hard place?
0: My faith. I I think that I was, I prayed a lot. And I knew that science was clearly telling me one thing, but my faith and my heart were telling me, you know, just continue to pray and, and Fonza will wake up. But I think it was after that test. And I knew that I had to pray about it and i had to say you know life is going to be so different without this person in our lives and i as much as i wanted to keep him alive he was already gone
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so i just had to try to be supportive and loving to my to my sister and my brother and my brother you know he's old he's the oldest and you know he was just sort of quiet throughout the whole process. So he was really never vocalizing anything. And it was really just my sister and I sort of going back and forth and really coming to a final conclusion, which when we decided to donate, we I knew that Fonso absolutely held on for as long as he could because of this, because of the gift that he was going to give people. And I started looking at it differently at that point when I was like, okay, we're doing this. And this is, he's going to help save people. I mean, other people are going to have their mother, their father, their brother, their sister. And there's nothing that we can do about Fonso at this point. Like he's not going to, he's not going to ever wake up. And I think from the moment that I said that to myself, I just had to push forward because i we didn't have anybody else. And, I just, I had to figure it out and just push through and do what I thought was right It was the best thing to do. And I I don't regret the decision because I, I truly believe that's what he would have wanted. Even, even though he was not a donor on his license, I knew that's what he would have wanted.
1: Jessica, I'm so glad that you decided to reach out because I'm sitting here thinking this is a raw and real account. You talk about being scared, not sure, having to make decisions. We could hear the emotion, and I'm just thinking how beneficial this will be to a lot of our families um, who follow the gifted life and who are on this donation journey. Uh, we mentioned... Fonso, we have a hero segment here on The Gifted Life, so we're going to honor him today and learn more about him um, and all the wonderful uh, that he was um, for your family and for um, his recipients. And so I know that you reached out. I was hoping we could explore that a little bit. You, You wrote a letter and you wanted to learn more about this incredible gift of life that Fonso was able to give. So talk about that, making that step and where that led
0: you. Yeah, so when we were signing all of the paperwork with the OPO, um, they asked us whether or not if we ever if we wanted to receive correspondence from any of any of the recipients. If we did, what type of um, information can we share? And I said, my 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 brother and my sister chose chose to decline. Um, I said, you can share everything. Like, I want them to know who my brother was and Mm. how amazing he was. But I know that they weren't sharing that information, but it was just the information that they were requesting. It's like, okay, yes, I'm happy to have an open uh, communication dialogue, whatever it may be. And so I wrote a letter to his specifically his heart recipient. So my brother was able to donate his heart, his lungs and his kidneys. So um, both of his lungs went to a woman and his kidneys went to two different people and his heart went to um, all I knew was a man with an age range from, I don't know where. And I wrote to this person six months on the day and I sent it to the OPO and I was very descriptive in my letter. And I got an email back saying, you're going to have to take out all of this stuff (laughs) because I think for me, I just wanted them to know Uh how special my brother was and how lucky this person was to have my brother's heart because like my brother's heart was him he was full of love and he never ever 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 made anyone feel less than and he just oh. he just loves living life he never complained he didn't have a lot of money we didn't grow up with a lot and he never ever cared what people thought of him he just wanted to he just wanted to love people and be around his family and friends that's what made him happy so i wanted this person to know about him right and they were um they were nice but they said you know unfortunately you can't share all of this information here's a redacted you know letter you can review it let us know what you think so I said that's fine so they sent it I waited nine months and I thought I would say for the first month or two I thought to myself what if this person died what if my brother died in vain what if we made a mistake like I can't believe this and so that you know my head just started spiraling thinking what if my sister was right. What if Fonso was telling us, like telling her, you know, don't, don't take off, don't take him off life support. And um, I started regretting my decision. I was in a very, very dark place for several months, not on top of losing my brother. I also had to figure out where I, where my grandmother was going to live. And I had just purchased a condo. I was, you know, employed in DC, living my life, and now I have to, you know, go back home. And what is that going to look like for my life? Um, So there was just a lot of variables and happening all at once. And I couldn't really, truly grieve, because I was so focused and worried about my grandma and what we were going to do with her. Mm. So um, I thought writing the letter was a good outlet for me to sort of start processing my brother's loss. But I didn't get a response for nine months. And once I got the letter, it was in the mail. And I ripped open the letter. And my boyfriend, now husband at the time, was sitting next to me. And I just started crying. And reading this letter. It was was probably one of the best days of my life. Because I knew that my brother's death was not in vain. He was able to save somebody. And he's alive because of him. Jessica, so that is that started that started my healing. Your
3: story has had me going up yes. and down and up and down. So I mean,
1: like there, you had so many emotions going through all of this, and you're so open. Like when you yeah. you describe, like you take us to that place. Like I'm with you on that on that journey.
3: And and what I keep going back to is that you're such an advocate, taking time to think. What do you need? What what questions did you need to ask? Like, you had to be next to your brother's bed to see the doctor do the brain death test.
0: Mm-hmm. You
3: needed to talk to your your sister and your brother. Um, you it to you needed time. You asked for time. We're not going to make any decisions till everybody's here. And then even like knowing that you wanted to reach out. And I I don't know how you did that because so many of us will just stop and not go further when there's something in us pushing us forward. And it just sounds like you're always open to asking questions, advocating, and wanting to know more so you could make the next decision. And I just want to thank you for that because so many families in grief I I used to be that person that would be in the hospital approaching families, and now I'm on the back end supporting families. Mm -hmm. But my heart hurts thinking that you sat there during that time with doubt in your head that did you do the right thing? And um, something that that we feel very strongly about it was the intention that you set that your brother wanted to help others, and. And it was with the intent of saying, yes, that is just such the gift. And um, gosh, I just, I thank you for speaking up and being part of this podcast, because I think the things you are addressing and sharing and talking about are what families experience and are too, sometimes too scared, too shocked, or just don't even know the words for the questions they want to ask. So thank you. Well,
0: thank you. You know, it's, and I think at the time, I didn't even know if I was asking the right questions. All I really remember is just trying to understand what they were saying because I'm not a physician. I need you to speak to me like I'm a human being. Like I need you to show and have some compassion. I am not a robot. I am not a book. I am a human being whose loved one is dying. I need you to talk to me like that. And i was very nice to a lot of the ICU staff. And I re- I, I regret that, but I was angry, I was scared. Um, I was trying to focus on my grandma and my siblings. And so those people didn't matter to me. I was just, it, it, it all came out the wrong way. And I remember after, um, after my brother had gone up to the OR, uh, I brought the nurses donut or the ICU staff, two dozen donuts, cause I felt horrible. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so Aww. sorry. <laughs> Um, You all have been so great and patient and you know they never wavered but I will say physicians really need to be much more cognizant of what these families are going through because you can't just talk to them like they don't like you have to talk to them like human beings it's a human to human conversation and just try to understand put yourself in their shoes. And, and, and maybe try to show more compassion because we didn't get that. And it was really unfortunate. But I think everything that happened the way that it happened was supposed to happen. And as hard as it was, it's made me so much stronger. And I'm so happy to talk about our experience and talk about my brother and talk about the importance of organ donation and how many people... I have a, one of my best friends for 15 years. She she because of her religion, never ever ever wanted to donate. And she said, Jessica, after after learning about your brother, I am now a registered organ donor. She's like, I don't I don't care. I can't even imagine that. She's like, I never really believed that that this stuff happens. And she's like, and you your brother is a is living proof. And now you know his heart recipient is in my life you know we we met he came to my wedding he's a part of my life i have gone to dallas to visit him and 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 he's a part of my family so it's really it's really this this whole community has just been really a godsend for me and i this is why what this is what drew me to your podcast because just listening to other people that have gone through similar things and just that loss of being like scared and confused and not knowing what's next it's it's just it really resonated with me and so i'm really glad that you all reached out to me
2: i will tell you that there are physicians that do listen to this podcast so uh so your words are very powerful you know teaching us all having having that firsthand experience it's certainly something i can tell you you know from the hospital education development side and even from the clinical side uh that we try to make sure that everyone involved gets to meet. Like we'll we'll bring um, donor families, we'll bring recipients like around into hospitals because uh, physicians need to hear and nurses need to hear and everyone involved needs to hear from people such as you and how their words and everything that every interaction that they've had impacts you because it it certainly will impact them moving forward which is a big reason you know one of the reasons why we we actually started with the podcast many many moons ago and uh you had me on my uh that kind of cliffhanger i was on on pins and needles wondering what happened after the nine months so so he so he went to your wedding yeah
0: i i actually it's it's interesting because got his letter in 2017 Uh, At the time, I was working for the American Psychological Association, and um, once I got his letter, that's when I reached out to the OPO in the DMV and started volunteering. And then once I was sort of, you know, started doing health fairs and church stuff, then I, I, you know, got hooked. And so I told my boss at the time, I said, is there any way that I can do uh, a session on the psychology behind organ donation at the APA annual meeting? And he said, oh God, absolutely. We just need to find a transplant surgeon. So I um, knew of a transplant surgeon at Northwestern. He agreed to do it. I had not met, we were just talking on the phone and we had seen pictures of each other. And I asked him, I said, is there any way that you'd be interested in doing a session at my annual meeting and share your story about how you ended up on on the, the transplant list and sort of, I'll I'll start it off by sharing my brother's story. The transplant surgeon will talk about their role on the team and then you can finish up and sort of close the circle. And he said, absolutely. So we met in San Francisco in August of 2018. And um, it was very, very, very emotional. My, My, Eric, my husband was with me and he was with his now fiance. And it was one of the most magical experiences that I've ever had. And it's it's so weird because I remember lying with my brother after he was declared brain dead and putting my head on his heart and or even thinking that 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 you know I could hear his heart beating. I just wanted to be close to him, and um, you know um, my brother's heart recipient ended up bringing a stethoscope, and I just lost it. Oh. It was it was it was very very hard because um, I just it took me back to that those times where I was on his chest listening to him and like questioning, like, he's still here and he's warm and I can feel him. but he's just not waking up. So that was a pretty powerful moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been close ever since. I'm sorry. Mm
1: -mm. No, we're, we're with you. We're with you. That was beautiful. So have your, your brother and sister also been able to meet, uh, this heart recipient and, and learn about the gift of life?
0: They chose not to have any contact with any of the recipients. And when I reached out to his name's Roger, when I reached out to him, um, my sister didn't really understand because she was the most hesitant and she just didn't care about anybody other than our brother. And Um, when i told her that i got a letter back she was like well that's good but just don't expect me to be a part of it and i had to respect the space that she was in and my brother just felt the same way so but for me i felt that i needed that to move forward like i needed to know that we made the right decision and so they chose not to to have any any relationship with him but my sister was at my wedding and um, she met him and it was hard for her. But after that, she says, it was nice to meet him, but I don't want a relationship with him. It's too hard for me because she doesn't like to talk about our brother with, with people that didn't know him. And I said, well, Roger has Fonso with him. So, you know, but she just doesn't want a relationship. I have to respect where she's at.
3: Absolutely. I You know, it's life is a journey. Grief is unique. And we have to, to continue to move forward the way that we know how. And um, that your family all came together, making a decision for what was best for your brother, knowing that that's who he is, sounds like that was her gift to the world and to your brother. And and for that, we're grateful. For that gift of
1: life. I just wrote down here um, as we're learning more about your brother, about Fonso. Wanted to love people. I felt that your whole your whole interview with us today, and I'm so glad that other people will get to hear that and get to hear your journey. And I'm just uh, amazed at the people I think that you will reach by sharing your your story. Um, as I said, a raw and real account. Like we we feel your tears. We we walk that journey with you, and we know that there's more to come. So there's going to be an open invitation for you to come back here on the gifted life podcast. As you learn, uh, teach us, teach others. Um, and thanks for for sharing your story and for sharing Fonso with us. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about Fonso in our hero segment coming up here on the gifted life. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health.
2: Yeah, and somehow I heard something about physicality or physical or <laughs> something else. So.
1: I think you he heard us singing the song,
2: Let's <laughs> Get.
3: Physical, anyway, <laughs> Olivia was well, supposed to sing because yes. that was
1: behind the scenes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're going back to we were you know the last two episodes we talked about the image of a stool and self care, and yeah. you know we, we hear a lot about self care and self care really takes effort. So we talked about one leg of the stool being our support system, mm-hmm. second leg is our daily living activities, and then the third one is physical health. And how important this is, uh, and we forget it. Like when you're in grief, really. If you, for me, it's just on a daily basis, I don't want to exercise, and I struggle. Oh, I do, <laughs> and it's so important because it gives us, Joey. You would know all about that since you're clinical, but the endorphins and the things yeah. that boost I that. I thought e- you
1: were gonna say because you work out. Yeah, cause, well, that too because you work out. <laughs>
2: She left that part out. Yeah, but it does. It it makes me feel I actually work out first thing in the morning when I wake up because I feel like I'm better the rest of my day is I'm riding a little bit of that endorphin high. And if I don't have it, it's definitely a difference.
3: Yeah, it makes a huge impact. And so... It's all about trying to develop some healthy habits. And when we say physical, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to work out. It's just that is such a quick impact to make a difference Mm -hmm. in your mood. But, you know, grief is – grief can be heavy. It can be unpredictable. And it can and it can feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And so the reason of checking in and just looking at the physical part of our lives each day to see is there something that we could do to improve that? Are you sleeping at night? Um, are you drinking water? Are you eating healthy are trying to? And it's just about taking one step toward um, developing some better habits that mm-hmm. can, mm-hmm that can help you carry that heavy load of grief. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like in today's world, you know, we have, when you talk about grief, we have so much loss in so many different ways. Loss of dreams, loss of jobs, uh, loss of, well, of course, a loss of a loved one. So I'm just encouraging um, all of us to be just a little bit more
1: diligent
3: into looking at our overall health.
1: Yeah, and then when you, you get back to it, like, you have, you know, you go back to work or go to do things. Life is so busy. It is. You know, like, where do you find time? Like, Joey, you get up extra early, I'm sure, to fit it in.
2: Yep. And, I, uh, and I'm like, oh, I'll have time later. 45 to 5 most of the time. Oh, see, Oof. I need
1: that sleep. She talked about sleep. You don't want to see me if I don't get <laughs> sleep. Yeah. Well, you know, with grief, um,
3: Sleep's very difficult. And yeah. a lot of families who talk to say, I, I, I'm not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. We encourage you to go talk to your doctor. Um, we encourage you to reach out and ask for help and talk to people. Um, our family service department is always open to our families and our community for additional support and questions and helping link those resources so that we can continue to heal Um And so I just, uh, I hope that everybody will take a look at what can you do to make just a small difference today. And um, there's baby steps. And so a lot of research points back to you don't have to do a whole lot to increase those endorphins that feel good um, without all the crummy side effects of other things that you can do Mm -hmm. to feel good, like Mm -hmm. alcohol, alcohol. or it could be some people can turn to drugs or food and sometimes that makes you feel not so well. Right. And so just 20 to 30 minutes a day can help just taking a brisk walk with your dog can help and getting outside and getting some vitamin D. All these things, these little bitty things we don't think much about, but they can add up to really lighten that load for us. I don't say that I
1: exercise, but I try to move for 30 minutes. A day, Yeah. Because it does make me feel better. And if I can get that in, like if it's on the list and you, you know, you push things to the next day and the next day. But if I can fit that in, I feel better, like I've yeah. accomplished things. So, it, I mean, you have to work at it and fit that in. Yeah. And, it, and it's something that the more you
3: study about what exercise or movement does for our mental health. And our bodies, um, because it's mind and soul and body. So there's... Everything. Yeah, Yeah. it's all together. I hope that it encourages you, our listeners, and us, each other, to to get moving and take care of ourselves.
1: Yeah, it's important. Maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here on The Gifted Life. It's easy to get that message to us. Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our
2: question and answer segment Uh, This one comes from one of our listeners. And, of course, this one is about family. So I'm going to kick it to our family support expert, Nyla. So, Nyla, does my family need to know that I'm a registered donor? That is an easy
3: question to answer. Yes. Absolutely, Just, our
1: guest did such a great job yes, talking about this specific topic. Jessica yeah
3: hit this. I mean, you know, they were left at a time, not knowing, and a very difficult time, and not knowing what their brother wanted, and so having to make that those decisions. Um, can be hard. So we asked like I I hope that donation becomes a like just a common household conversation. Talk to your family about what your
1: wishes are. And we talk about that in community like that's one of the biggest keys. You make an educated decision and you let your family know. You have that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. Joe?
2: Yes, it's so important for families to to have that knowledge of what their loved one wanted prior to now uh, there are circumstances where they don't know. And, and in those circumstances, we have access to the registry. So uh, we will pull the access. We will check the registry. And and if they are registered as an organ tissue and eye donor, we'll let the family know and have that, those conversations then when it is time for you to have those discussions.
1: All right. Great question. And, uh, you know, we're going to use Jessica's interview as a tool for those who may have questions, and, and hopefully that encourages you to have those conversations with your family. Um, maybe you have a question for us here on The Gifted Life. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we ask that you give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Alfonso Fonso Weston, and we learn about him from his sister, Jessica.
0: Fonso Weston passed away on April 25th, 2016, after suffering from a grand mal seizure. Fonso absolutely loved life and truly lived it to the fullest. He took care of our 99 year old grandmother for 16 years and always put her first. He loved her more than he loved himself at times. He was the most selfless person we have ever met and had such admiration for his friends. treated like family. Our house is always the hub for cookouts, reunions and holiday gatherings. While walking around our house, you could always hear Pink Floyd in the background, which was his favorite band. Anyone who had the opportunity to meet Fonso had nothing but love for him. He was an incredible human being who never took life for granted. He lives on through his siblings, the four people who he helped save through organ donation and countless others through his skin, tissue and valve donation.
2: And now we pause. And say thank you to Fonzo for the gift of life.
1: That is going to do it for episode 212 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can register as an organ, tissue, eye donor anytime. Registerme.org. I learned a lot.
2: And special thanks to Jessica for teaching us so much. Mm -hmm. Jessica Andrade. Very good. She's in, gonna be so proud of us. Learning.
3: Still love the way she says it. <laughs> oh, you're she's getting probably. better, Jess. Yeah, you're getting better. <laughs> we'll
1: work on it, Jess.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, but but for for sharing Fonzo uh, with us and and really for the bravery that she had for being that rock in such a difficult time for their family in general and helping the rest to to making uh, these difficult decisions.
1: Yeah. We hope that you share this story in hopes of helping others on their donation journey. Uh, The best place to find us, guys, on our website, thegiftedlife.org.
3: Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others
1: to find us. On social, you can like our page on Facebook. It's the Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at GiftedLifePod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.